Y'all, there was a, recently, there was a, uh, I guess it was a political rally of some kind. Um, there were news crews there to, to catch, you know, some of the rally and interview some of the people that were in attendance. And one of the people they interviewed made this, this comment. They said, uh, I think what God is up to right now, he's separating the sheep from the goats. And the interviewer said, well, which one are you? And the person said, well, I'm a goat. I'm not a sheep. You know, I, I think for myself, I don't do what anybody tells me to do. Um, and y'all, at some point, I'm not sure when it happened. It seems like in recent years, that, that phrase, sheep, became a real insult. And you know what I mean. If, if a person's a sheep, it means that they are uh, weak-minded and gullible, easily deceived, easily led, right? And so if it's true that God ever separates the sheep from the goats, well, I mean, neither option sounds that great, but make, I'm, I'm a goat, right? I don't want to be a sheep. Um, now, for homework, if you want to go home and read Matthew chapter 25, that's where actually Jesus gives this illustration of one day separating people as though they were sheep and goats. And y'all, you don't want to be a goat, okay? Spoiler alert from Matthew 25. It doesn't go well for the goats. It's, it's interesting, though, when I think about this, this idea of being a sheep, y'all, we shouldn't allow culture to redefine terms that Jesus sets. Because here in John 10, Jesus is going to, he's going to dedicate an entire chapter for us of likening his disciples to sheep. And there are no insults intended in that. There's no harshness at all. In fact, there's a, there's a preciousness to what Jesus is going to communicate to us here in this chapter, that if you are a believer in Christ, then you are his sheep. He is our shepherd, and we are his little lambs. And there are some of us, perhaps, that kind of recoil at language like that because we hate to think of ourselves that way. We may say, well, wait a minute, aren't sheep you know, weak and vulnerable and frankly kind of dumb? And the answer is yes. Yes. But that's why John chapter 10 is not about the strength and the awesomeness of the sheep. It's about how good and faithful the shepherd is. The emphasis is not on us as the sheep, but on the faithful and good shepherd. And so that's what John 10 is about. We're going to break it into two parts, both this week and next. But it will help us maybe to think, you know, in, all of this is one narrative. And so John 10, of course, comes after John chapter 9. The conversation continues from the last chapter. Jesus is speaking with the religious leaders of his day. These are the Jewish leaders, his own kinsmen. And these are people who are so self-righteous, they're just sure that they hold the keys to God's kingdom. And so, of course, they reject Jesus at every turn. Everything he says, everything he does, they try to turn it into a problem. But Jesus won't relent. He doesn't take his foot off the gas. He continues to push, not just for their sake, but for the sake of everyone who would come after them, everybody who gets to hold one of these gifts in our hands. When we read the Bible and the words of Jesus Christ, he is speaking now, today, to us. And specifically, Jesus is going to give us a very clear sense of how his ministry operates, as opposed to the false form of human religion that the religious leaders had created.
So look with me at John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And watch how this conversation continues. Jesus begins, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So, the, so, so often was true, the religious leaders cannot understand, they can't comprehend that Jesus is actually talking about them right here. The, these leaders, they're just like the men uh, that, uh, that God condemns in the book of Ezekiel. We're walking through Ezekiel in our yearly Bible reading plan right now where the leaders of Israel, the people looked up to them, but they were poor shepherds. They were frauds. They only looked out for themselves. Jesus is comparing these present-day leaders to them. Now, Jesus says there is a legitimate shepherd, a real shepherd, who knows his own sheep, and his sheep know him. They know his voice, and therefore they follow him. But those who are strangers to the sheep, they actually pose a threat to them. This kind of person Jesus is speaking of is not a shepherd. He's really more like a thief. And that's how Jesus characterizes the religious leaders, the Pharisees of his day. Not shepherds who care for the sheep, but thieves who break in and steal. And then he takes us a step deeper in verse 7. Remember, he just spoke of the door of the fold, right? Verse 7, so Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life have it abundantly. So Jesus is broadening his uh, audience. He's speaking about the religious leaders, yes, but now also he speaks about false prophets, uh, false saviors. Uh, if we do a little church history, we find out there were pretender messiahs who came along and claimed to be somebody great, claimed to be the deliverer of Israel. And of course, they were all shown to be frauds. But here's the point now, anyone, anyone who makes a claim to be somebody great from God, Jesus says, in the end, they're a thief and a liar and a stranger. God did not send them. But I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. See, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Uh, Y'all, one, one of the things that I, I hope becomes clear as we walk through the Gospels, any Gospel, not just John, 
It's that Jesus was not interested in posturing as a better leader than the other leaders. They're fine, I guess, but I'm better than them. I'm, I know more. I'm purer of heart, right? I'm the better leader among the rest of those who claim to be somebody. That's not Jesus' point here. Certainly, he was a better leader than the rest. But y'all, if that's how we esteem Jesus as a great leader, then all he could really do for us in the end was show us a better path, a better plan, so that we might make ourselves acceptable to God. Show us a better way, perhaps, than the way of the others. But no, y'all, when Jesus says things like this, when he says, I am the door, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved, Jesus is crossing a very distinct line there. He's making claims that only God can make. He's saying things that only God can say. See, a great leader might say, I can show you the way to salvation. And y'all realize we have guys and men and women who are doing that all the time. I can show you the way to financial salvation. Follow me, read my book, listen to my podcast. I can show you the way to self-help salvation. As a, as a leader, I can show you the way to some ideal existence that you might envision for yourself. But again, that gets us ultimately nowhere, certainly nowhere with God. See, it's only Jesus who says not, I'll show you the way. Jesus says, I am the way of salvation. Every other way is destruction and death. But the abundant life that comes by God's grace is yours through me. And only if you enter through me, through Christ, by faith. See, great leaders come and go. Some good, some bad but they come and go. In Jesus, we have a great Savior. We have the one and only Son of God. And y'all, if this is maybe uh, impersonal or a little strange when Jesus says, I am the door, maybe we can't really wrap our minds around that. Well, Jesus is going to develop this idea for us. And you know, sometimes Jesus will mix up metaphors and kind of play with language. And he's Jesus. He can do whatever he wants, right? And so it shouldn't surprise us when Jesus refers to himself as the door, right? He doesn't leave it there for us. Watch how, watch how this develops here, beginning in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Not just the door, but I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So when Jesus calls himself the door by which we may enter and be saved, this may not be something you do, but occasionally if, I, if I'm given a, an image like that, I'll think of it almost mechanically or, or as like as a formula. Okay, well, there's maybe a lot of doors then out there in the world, but there's only one right door, so I've got to find the right one to make sure I enter in, and then voila, I'm in. But salvation is not mechanical. It's intensely personal. 
And for our benefit here, Jesus gets intensely personal when He says, I am the Good Shepherd. Now, most of us, I'm sure, don't have a background in shepherding or livestock or agriculture. I I don't. Um, But if we think about what a Good Shepherd does, think only about the context first. I mean, just think about what Jesus has already told us. Not what we may or may not know about the vocation of shepherding, But what has Jesus already told us? Think about what He said back in verse 3. The sheep hear His voice and He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. When He puts forth all His own, He goes ahead of them and the sheep follow Him because they know His voice. That's what the Good Shepherd does. That's the relationship Jesus speaks of. And y'all, both Old and New Testament, there are places in the Bible where the people are described as sheep without a shepherd. Moses had a great fear that when he died, perhaps Israel would become like sheep without a shepherd. And God must raise up another man, Joshua, in his place. That was Moses' greatest fear. Because he knew what would happen to the people in that case. And so to be a sheep without a shepherd, it's a terrible image in the Bible of what it means to live life apart from God. Because as we've already established, yes, sheep are weak, and they are ignorant, and they are easily lost, easily snatched up and destroyed. And so when Jesus indicts the religious leaders of His day, one of the searing insults He passes on to them, He says, you're just hired hands. You're not shepherds. Because hired hands ultimately don't care about the sheep. Hired hands only care about their wages, only what's in it for them. At the end of the day, the sheep are on their own. You don't know them. You don't care about them. And if push comes to shove, you'll just take care of yourself. And that's why we need an altogether different picture when it comes to Jesus, the Savior. When He refers to Himself, Y'all, He gives us in no uncertain terms who He is in relationship to us. I am the Good Shepherd. And verse 14 says, I know my own and my own know Me, even as the Father knows Me. And I know the Father. And so y'all, Jesus, when, when Jesus speaks here, it's clear that there's care and concern involved. But even deeper for me, more important for me to see, is ownership. Not just that Jesus cares about us and loves us from afar, but there's there's ownership. The sheep belong to Him. He says, I know my own, and my own know me. And that takes us back to what He said about a good shepherd. A shepherd calls his sheep by name. And now that's where, again, I don't know anything about shepherding. Uh, I, I took a trip to Central Asia a few years ago. And as we were driving down the highway, we, we literally had to stop for sheep to cross the road as their shepherds led them along. It was really amazing. Stuff you don't really see here. But as I watched the whole process, I thought to myself, that looks easy. <laughs> imagine now, imagine a shepherd with a thousand sheep. I don't know how realistic that actually is. But just one shepherd to a thousand sheep. And try to even, just I mean, try to imagine the difficulty of keeping in line that mass of sheep. Knowing what sheep are. 
And think further about this. If you were one among a thousand, you know, they all look the same. And frankly, they all kind of act the same and they all follow along with one another. Like how in the world could you possibly keep up and know what's what? But Jesus Christ says the shepherd knows his sheep. From my perspective, there's nothing unique or special about the thousand, about the crowd, unless a shepherd knows them and names them and makes them his own. That's what Jesus says he does for us. That Jesus is, is not drawing attention to the quality of the sheep in this case, but to the quality of the shepherd, the kind of shepherd he is. You know, he, Jesus Christ entered into this world, into this mass of humanity, so that he might make God known to us who would otherwise be ignorant. And also so that he might make us alive to God. That's why Jesus can call himself the good shepherd. And this is how in verse 15, Jesus can give us the kind of intimacy that we could never deserve or really even imagine. When Jesus says, just as the Son knows the Father and the Father knows the Son, so I know my sheep and they know me. Oh, there is a, there's a divine, eternal glory in that statement that I cannot fully grasp. I just know it's good. That the intimacy that, that God shares as Father to Son has been now granted to us to know and walk with Jesus. We're bound up together with Him in an, in an unspeakably wonderful way. And so I, if we can just kind of start to tie some of these threads together, I'm going to do the best I can on this because Jesus has got, there's a lot going on here. But if we recall the great promise of verse 10, and I, y'all, if, you, if, you're a, if you've never memorized Scripture before, this would be a good one to start with. In John 10, 10, easy to remember, John 10, 10, right? The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, right? Well, what does he mean? when he talks about abundant life. If we were to fill in our own gaps, our own blanks with that phrase, abundant life, you and I may come to a lot of our own conclusions. Certainly material success is involved, right? Love, romance, a house full of kids. You could fill in your own blank with whatever abundant life might mean. But in the context of this chapter, Jesus tells us what it means so that we don't have to guess. Right? We've already seen to this point, Jesus saves us first and foremost. He knows us and He makes Himself known. We're able to know Him. He leads us, He speaks to us, He protects us and provides for us. That much we know just from these verses. But y'all, it might help us also to take about 20 seconds and recite something together. This is not something we often do in the middle of a sermon, but I think it's appropriate today. When you hear the term shepherd, or you think of God as a shepherd, maybe you think of that very special place in the Psalms, the 23rd Psalm. And, I, and I, y'all, I, I want us to do this. It may be a little clunky. That's okay. I want us to recite the 23rd Psalm together so that we might together from our own lips express what it means to be shepherded by a loving God. Okay? So I want y'all to say it with me, okay? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Abundant life is not simply what we get when we die and go to heaven. The promise is abundant life in the here and now. And y'all, at the root of it, it means that we belong to God, that God calls us His very own because He's brought us into His own heart. If if we are ever tempted to think of of God as some far-off impersonal being who sets things in motion and leaves us to ourselves, the whole Bible speaks against that. But man, I would encourage you to fix your eyes on the 23rd Psalm. Intensely personal. Wonderfully gracious. God as our shepherd. And Jesus is exemplifying Himself now. I am the good shepherd. Everything that's true of that psalm is now true of those who trust in Him. By faith in Jesus Christ, we are now the precious sheep of His pasture. And y'all, I know this in my own heart. And so I suspect it's true for many of us. We struggle to really believe that God would love us this much. Maybe we look at our own circumstances or we look at the sin of our own heart or our past or even our present. We look at the reality that we, that we think, we see, and perceive, and there's no way God really loves me like this. There's no way. I mean, I can, I can believe that Jesus is the Good Shepherd, sure but I can't take it into my own heart that He's my Good Shepherd. Some of us struggle with that. That Jesus Christ would actually love you enough to call you by name, to call you His own, to give you abundant and eternal life. And so if that's a struggle for you to believe, you're in in good company. But I want us to round the corner here and close with some very definitive statements that Jesus makes that I hope will leave us no room for doubt. Jesus is going to answer some critical questions here in the Scripture that we've got to understand and walk out in how we live. One, how far does this promise, this grace, really reach? Could it reach to a person like you or me? And then two, how do we really know it's true that Jesus is the Good Shepherd? who gives abundant life. How far does it reach? How do we know it's true? Look at verse 16. The reach of His grace. Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will hear My voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Y'all, verse 16 is the reason you and I are here right now. Jesus is speaking not only of the Jews, His countrymen, but now also of the Gentiles. And the Gentiles reach as far and wide 
as the earth reaches. All of God's green earth is pictured in verse 16, that Jesus has other sheep, not of this fold, not only from among the Jews. And I must bring them also. Y'all, that's us. And this, this is so hard for me, maybe for you too, when I think about my, my, my own ancestry. I think, in, in, in my mind, I think I've got a Christian birthright. I was born into a Christian home. We went to church. As far as I know, my, my family, we all believed in Jesus. But y'all, if you, all of us now, if you trace your ancestry back far enough, you're going to arrive at pure paganism. Go back far enough. And, and again, it's whether it's Scottish or English or Hungarian, South African, Indian, you name it. Wherever you're from, ultimately, far enough back, back there, there's no Christian birthright that we were born out of. We are the sheep from outside the fold in this case. Gentiles who are only able to enjoy God's grace because Jesus came for us too. I have other sheep, he said. That's you and me. People from every tongue and tribe and nation will make up Jesus' church so that, Jesus says, we will all be one flock with one shepherd. The grace of God reaches much further than we think. Jesus spoke these words from John 10 in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago, and they are still vibrant and true and real in Ridgeland, Mississippi in 2021. Now, that's hard to believe. There was no Ridgeland, Mississippi when Jesus spoke those words, but there didn't need to be because the sovereign, gracious God knew that there were other sheep to be brought in. And so that's true here today. It's true in Karachi, Pakistan. It's true in Ghana and Paris and Cameroon and in a million other places right now because God's grace is that broad and that wonderful. It's true for you and me by faith. His reach is not too short. And that leads us to the last question. How do we know these promises are true? How can we be sure, really sure, that Jesus is the good shepherd who gives us abundant life? And y'all, I've intentionally left something out of the Scripture to this point. I haven't forgotten it, even though it seemed like maybe I did. Two times already, Jesus has said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep right? I lay down my life for the sheep. And again in verse 17 as he closes, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This, is, this commandment I received from my Father. So y'all, we've got some, some very important points that are colliding together right here at the end of this discourse. When Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep, something that ought to jump off the page for us is the love of Christ. What kind of shepherd would lay down his life for this mass of sheep, for this mass of humanity? We didn't deserve it. In, the, in the, the death of Jesus, we have a clear expression of His love for us. We also, though, we have a clear expression of the love between God the Father and God the Son. It, the, the act of Jesus going to the cross, it's not just to show His love for us, 
but it's the loving obedience of the Son to the Father. That's why we can say Jesus did not go to the cross against His will. You may hear this, this strange fringe argument from time to time that why in the world would the Father send His Son to die like that? What kind of loving Father would do that? Jesus says, I go on my own initiative. I lay my life down of my own choice and out of love for the Father. It's mutual love. That's an amazing thing to consider. That the cross is not just God's love for us, but God's love, His fatherly love for the Son and the Son for the Father. And then Jesus says, thirdly, I lay down my life with the authority, not just to lay it down, but to take it up again. When Jesus goes to the cross, He has the authority to die and then rise again. So y'all, when we think of Jesus as our shepherd laying down His life, we shouldn't come to the conclusion that this well-meaning, very loving, but ultimately weak man, when danger comes, he throws himself in front of the wolf and gives us some time to escape out the back. That would be very noble, but that's not the image here. Not that Jesus was some helpless shepherd who simply bought us some time to escape the threat, but that Jesus as God is the good shepherd who has the authority to lay down his life. Meaning everything God intended to accomplish on the cross was fulfilled in Jesus. All of God's promises to us are fulfilled because Jesus laid down His life. The reason Jesus is the door by which we may enter and be saved is because He laid down His life to save us. The reason Jesus can promise us abundant life is because He willingly gave His own life as a sacrifice for sin. So now that every barrier that exists between you and God has been removed. And God can bring you into His own heart now because Jesus Christ died on the cross. And so y'all, if, if, we're, if we're ever prone to wonder, is God really good? Does God really love me? Is God really willing to forgive me? All of those questions are answered definitively at the cross of Jesus. That the Good Shepherd loves His sheep. He calls them by name. He lays down His life for them. God is good. And God loves us. And God's promises are sure. And because Jesus died and also rose again, He has the power and the authority to fulfill those promises. If He says abundant life, He means it in the here and now, not just one day in the by and by. There's nothing in all the world outside the scope of His gracious purpose. Not you or me. No one is too far gone. And so you and I, we may not like the thought of being called a sheep. If somebody calls you a sheep on Facebook, okay, different story altogether. You figure that one out. But in church, we need to embrace that defining mark. I am a sheep of Jesus Christ. And y'all, that is meant to humble us. We don't take pride in it. It is true that I'm weak and I'm needy. I'm often ignorant. And even worse than my ignorance and my weakness, I'm rebellious. I'm a sinner. I'm prone to go astray from God. I'm a sheep. 
And so my hope, your hope in that case, is not something that we find within ourselves. It's not a sheep becoming a lion. That's not your hope. It's that we are taken in by the Good Shepherd. The emphasis is on Him and His goodness, not on our goodness. And so if we are able to trust Jesus Christ as the Good Shepherd, then we get the whole package. We get all His kindness, all His grace, all His promises, and we get to experience life day by day under the hand of a good and loving shepherd. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful this morning. We're thankful, I pray, this morning. That, Lord, in, in all the, the things working against us, our human weakness, our vulnerability, our sin, our lack of knowledge and wisdom, Our, our propensity to be deceived and led astray, Lord, we could go on all day. That, Father, it, it would have perhaps been very rational, very reasonable for you to look at the shape of your world and, and simply pass us by. Too much work to do, too much darkness. To redeem. Father, thank you that that thought never entered your mind or your heart, but that you purposed to send your Son to be our Good Shepherd, to lay down his life for us, to make us his own. And Father, I pray for us this morning that if we, if we have trusted in Jesus Christ for this grace, then we are more richly redeemed than we probably know. We are more deeply loved than we can imagine. And our lives right now are more abundantly filled than we can ever deserve. Thank you for Jesus Christ our one and only Savior and our good and kind and merciful and strong shepherd. Lord, may we follow His voice with joy, knowing He will never lead us astray. And Lord, may we love You as You deserve for the way You have lavished Your love upon us. Father, let everything we do be a lived-out response to your amazing grace. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.